Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. And in today's episode, well, it's actually a little sad because it's the last episode of the year 2023. And to record this episode, we have a very special guest. Her name's Erin. She's actually the director and editor of our podcast, Beyond Bite Wings. So, Erin, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm still in shock that we're at the end of 2023, but I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah, same here. I was just about to, you know, see it with, and I'm like, oh, what? Is it the last episode for the year? <laughs> it's crazy how time flies. It is. It is. And, you know, just reflecting back, I just remembered that our first episode aired November of 2020, meaning it's been three years we've been doing this. Yeah, you will hit 100 episodes next year. That's a huge, huge, huge milestone. Wow, thank you, thank you. And honestly, I don't think we could have done it without your help. So thank you. Well, I know, so I can only imagine, and I will say this, like you mentioned, I do a lot of the editing or we're recording. I am not obviously a dental practice owner, and I have learned so much from your podcast. <laughs> and so I can only hope that actual dental dental practice owners have learned a lot too, just in all your information. So yeah, I mean that's the idea, right? Just to make sure that our listeners are informed and well learned, and they seek the help that they need. You know, hopefully to do things the right way, and to make sure that they can benefit from it you know, the information and as well as uh, some of the resources that we're offering. Absolutely. So that's good. Now, I had a thought as a last episode, and we may have done this in prior years, but I feel like it's almost needed. Uh, maybe do this episode on like the tax part. And I know this is boring when you hear, oh, no. But if you really think about it, when the time comes, come April or October, if you do an extension, you may wonder, oh, I wish I knew this before the year ended so I could have implemented it. So I feel like sharing some of those tips and sharing some of that knowledge would go a long way. What do you think? I would agree. And let me just say, Ash, yes, numbers can be very boring, but I don't think saving money is boring to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree with you on that completely, especially again, around this time of the year, if you can realize, oh, wait, if I do this, I could save quite a bit and that would help with the presents that I bought. <laughs> Why not? Exactly. Pay off those credit cards come January 1st. <laughs> right. So 2023 has been interesting. Uh, honestly, the COVID years, as I would like to call them, have been interesting. There's been a lot of tax law changes and rules a lot of them to benefit some of the uh, businesses that were placated by this epidemic. But we're at that time, 
where a lot of those benefits have depleted, but there's still some due diligence work that needs to be done. And I am specifically talking about the ERC credit, the employee retention credit. Now, I know there are a lot of third-party companies that helped out, not just our clients, but a lot of our listeners to uh, acquire that credit. But what these third-party companies are failing to inform the people that are applying for this credit is that uh, additional work is needed after applying for that credit. So the ERC credit, again, just to remind our listeners, it's an employee retention credit. It's basically a credit based off of the payroll taxes that were already paid in. So when you apply for this credit, you have to file for amended payroll tax reports. And consecutively, you also have to amend your business tax returns. And if your business tax returns are flow-through type tax returns, then your personal tax returns as well. Now, the third-party companies, they do help with amending the quarterly payroll reports, but they fail to inform their clients that, hey, talk with your CPA or your accountant and make sure that the 1040s or the other business type tax returns are also amended. I should also mention that there's also been a lot of abuse of this credit ever since it came out, and IRIS has hunkered down. They've actually uh, formed a special unit that is going to basically scrutinize every single person that has applied for this credit. So it's pertinent that you make sure that you have done everything by the book, you have amended your tax returns, your payroll tax reports, to make sure that if there is an audit, that you have correctly done your work and you've applied for the correct amount. So that's one thing. So Ash, can I ask a question about this? Yeah, absolutely. Like, what if you... What if you took the credit, let's say, I don't know if 2021 was viable to take the credit, but like in 2022, mm-hmm. you're listening to this, it's 2023. Mm-hmm. Can you go back and fix that if you realize maybe you didn't file correctly? Yeah, absolutely. So it's an amended tax return, right? So you may have already filed your tax return, um, again, with the original numbers before you filed for the credit. So after you file for the credit, you can always go back and, um, you know, file a corrected tax return, so to speak. We call it an amended tax return. Um, And that should take care of it. So the ERC was one of those benefits. Of course, the PPP loan was there. A lot of people applied for it. And there was the forgiveness program there as well. So it was all forgiven. Um, And for specifically for some of our healthcare clients, you know, there were the HHS stimulus packages as well. But what I'm trying to say is uh, all these benefits, all these um, additional help, so to speak, that was provided, that gave a giant boost in the cash reserves of the business. And what happened was a lot of these businesses got used to the increase in expense of doing business. Not just inflation, but also the fact that a lot of the uh, people that are working, um, they started asking for more money, and rightfully so to some degree because, I mean, they have a life to live as well. They have bills to pay. But what happened was um, employees, upon their ask, as soon as they asked for it, the employers provided to them without really sitting down and calculating if that's an overhead that can be sustained after the cash reserves would deplete. And I feel like we've started that phase right now where a lot of the companies are done utilizing that PPP loan that they received there. They've 
completely depleted their ERC credits or maybe, you know, some other funds that they've received. And now all of a sudden they're like, whoa, uh, why is my bottom line so low? It was never like this. I'm making more money, but I feel like I'm actually making less now when I'm, you know, paying all my expenses. So to kind of mitigate some of that, I would say, if you get the time, and I'm not saying you have to do it during the last week of December, you know, when you're out with your family, but maybe sometime in January, if possible, look at your financials, kind of see which expense items have gone up and see if there are ways to kind of bring it back to a level that seems more okay with you. Because at the end of the day, your bottom line needs to be an amount that you're happy with so that you can continue to do what you're doing. Otherwise, what will happen is a point will come where you will feel burnt out. And that's also another thing that I'm seeing a lot of. And you'll just call quits. Right. And I just want to reiterate that when you do that, you're not just going to be impacting your life, but also your team members that's on your payroll. So. Very important to kind of also look at your financials to make sure that from an overhead standpoint that, you know, you're where you should be. And if you're thinking, oh, you know what, the big ticket item that I see here that's like way above than what it used to be are my team member expenses. I'll tell you right now that's across the board, but there are ways to mitigate it. I feel like we've recorded some episodes with some great people very recently where they gave some ideas on how to lower that by, you know, cross training or, you know, hiring people from other industries that may be willing to work for a little less than what, let's say, somebody else within the industry is asking for. So, you know, give those episodes a listen. Great tips there. But again, coming back to, you know, um, controlling your overhead and payroll being the number one ticket item for a majority of the listeners out there. Uh, the other thing that I would also like to bring up is we are in December, meaning next month will be January. And some of you may know this already, but for those that don't, so January 31st is the deadline for uh, filing the 1099 forms for all the temp help you've utilized, for all the contractors that you utilize. And typically the 1099 form requires for the preparers to use some information uh, that information is typically obtained through a form called W-9. So make sure if you get the time to obtain that completed W-9 forms from all the people that you've utilized for your contract work or for any kind of independent work, basically people that were not on your payroll. And it should ask for the full name, the mailing address, the social security number or the tax ID number, and that's basically it, I believe. Now, if your preparer is going to e-file the 1099s, then they're also going to be asking for the email address of the recipient. And now, the form does not ask for that, but asking for it ahead of time will definitely help out your CPA or your preparer for the 1099s. Now, payroll on the W-2 side, right? So people that are currently on your payroll. And if you happen to be on your own payroll, one thing to pay attention to would be your withholdings. So fine tune your paycheck withholdings and specifically the FIT withholding, which is the federal income tax portion. 
just make sure that that withholding is on par with the tax bracket you belong to. Oftentimes, we run into this issue where, you know, uh, especially during tax planning, we'll talk to our clients, we'll tell them, okay, make sure you update your withholding to this next year, or for other people within your household, maybe for your spouse to this amount, and then, you know, pay the quarterly ES payments. That way, you know, your due amount should be this. But what will happen is they'll make the quarterly payments, but they forget to update the withholding. So when it's time to file for the tax return, there's a huge due amount. And that always throws people off. So if you want to mitigate that, if you want to make sure that the amount of taxes that you're paying, you stay on top of it, you want to make sure there's not a huge due amount at the end of it, just make sure that you pay attention to the FIT, the federal income tax withholding portion of your W-2, right? So if you are the owner, you just contact contact your payroll service provider. If it's your CPA or if it's ADP, Paychex, any of the big ones, or any any whoever you're using to adjust it accordingly so that it's on par with the tax bracket you're in. And Ash, is it typically also with that, like, is the typical rule as a self-employed just being at zero by the time the R- you, you pay the IRS? Is that what you have most of your clients do? So zero, that's, that's difficult, right? And I guess mm-hmm. I have to say it depends. For some of our clients, we can do that. For our other clients that, let's say, have a 401k plan that they have implemented within their business, they just don't know how much they're going to fund or which vehicles to utilize, sometimes they'll intentionally wait till it's time just to look at the cash reserves to see how much they're going to fund. Because that funding amount, which is in turn the deductible amount, will determine what their tax will be. So for those types of clients, it's very difficult. But for other clients, you know, that's pretty straightforward. They just have W-2s or they've been making the same amount of money every year. There's not really much growth or change. For them, it's easier to make that um, estimate. Got it. Okay. Now, this is also another thing. It may be specific to people within our industry, but a lot of times dental practice owners, they may utilize their dependents to help them with some of the clerical work or maybe to use them as models on their marketing platform, and they would like to compensate them. And you can, really. Just make sure that if the compensation is mostly for tax benefit purposes, that in the year of 2023, the the gross wage amount does not exceed more than $13,850 per dependent. And for 2024, that amount has gone up, so it's going to be $14,600. Now, it's important to pay attention to that number because I'm not really sure how you will pay your dependent, whether it's once a month, once every six months, or you know, bi-weekly, you know, however you pay maybe your staff. Just make sure that that total amount at the end of the year does not exceed it. Because if it's below that, what you can do is you can actually set their FIT again, going back to the federal income tax withholding, you can set it to zero, right? The Social Security tax or the Medicare taxes will be automatically drawn out, but the FIT, you set it to zero, and then you should be good. Right. If you need more details on that and why it's done, I say reach out to your CPA. They'll be able to because it's it's going to be a bit of a conversation. Uh, but there's definitely a benefit to it uh, for some people. And uh, those are the limits. So I just figured I should mention that just in case any of you are wondering what that amount is. 
Um, and are there any age limits to the dependent? So that's actually a very good question you just asked. So typically there's the working age. It's much simpler for that. But uh, oftentimes I have seen uh, people employing their dependents that are minors specifically for the purpose of being a model on the marketing platform. So if let's say you are using them for your social media or you know, brochures, pamphlets or whatnot, it's okay. You can compensate them. The only thing you have to be careful of is make sure that what you're paying them is going towards something that benefits them. Right. So you don't, you just want to be careful that you don't put it back into the business, right? Don't, don't set the direct deposit back into the checking account of the business. You know, uh, Rather, I would recommend if you have, let's say, a college savings plan for your dependent, like a 529 plan, you could set the direct deposit directly into that, right? And there's some benefits to it, actually, uh, doing it that way. Or if you set up like a Roth IRA for them, you can set those pay into that. Um, again, also an excellent way to go about it, just because I'm a huge fan of these types of vehicles because they grow tax deferred and you have the power of compounding on your side. So little amounts going in there, they have a huge impact. And by the time they have to go to college or, you know, they're retiring, that amount grows to a significant amount. So to answer your question, I wouldn't say there is. I guess you may receive a notice from the labor department, you know, if they're a minor. Uh, But as long as you can justify your stance, uh, you should be fine. Now, let's talk about donations, because I do get asked this a lot, and specifically now. So there are a lot of causes out there right now for which you may feel like, oh, I really need to help this out or, you know, help the situation somehow. So let me uh, go to this link and, you know, make this contribution. And that's all fine and dandy. But if you are seeking for some kind of a tax benefit from your contribution, your charitable contribution, one thing you have to pay attention to is that the organization where you're going to be donating, are they set up as a 501c3 organization? And I'm going to repeat that again, 501c3. For most charitable organizations, if you just go to their website, you're going to notice they mention that somewhere in the bottom bar corner that we are a 501c3 uh, exempt organization. That way, whatever money you give to them, you can actually deduct it on your tax return if it's allowed for you to deduct. Now, speaking of contributions, I feel like it's also important to mention what can qualify and what can't, uh, because I run into that issue too. So sometimes certain organizations, if, especially if you're part of it, they'll offer like gala tickets or something near end, right? And they feel like, oh, you know, me and my wife, we bought two tickets that were like $2,500 each. So that's a $5,000 deduction there. Eh. Wrong. The full amount is not deductible, especially if it's for a gala ticket, because there's some benefit that you received, right? So the food that you received, the show you saw, all of that, those things cannot be deducted. So typically for a charitable organization, when they host galas and whatnot, you're going to notice in a month or two, they're going to send you a letter or an email where they're going to say that the tax deductible portion of your contribution is this. 
And that's the amount that can be deducted. So let's say, again, going back to our earlier example, you spent $5,000 for two tickets, gala tickets. It may say that the deductible portion of your tickets in total were $1,400. The rest were for food and show and whatnot. So at that point, only $1,400 of that can be deducted. So it's important to know if you are counting on, okay, how much am I going to contribute and how much do I need? as a deduction to pay attention to those things. So the less benefit you receive from your donation, odds are the better your deductible ability from that contribution. So Ash, I have a question about this. Mm -hmm. Can your business buy the tickets as a community reach out and try to write them off that way? Absolutely. So you actually brought up an excellent point. So... If the business buys a ticket, again, if it's a 501c3 organization, it can be deducted. If you're getting some kind of a benefit of it, um, again, the letter, you're going to be receiving that letter. You're going to forward it to your CPA, and the CPA is going to adjust it. So let's say there was a meal portion to it, there was an entertainment portion to it, and of course, the difference, the additional amount you paid is the contribution amount. Your CPA is probably going to split it into three categories, one for meals, one for entertainment, and then the remainder portion as your contribution. Now, you actually brought up an interesting point because sometimes we will have people that will pay for sponsorships. Let's say they have kids, like a PTA sponsorship or something, and they'll say that's a charitable donation. I would recommend at that point to kind of speak with your CPA or your financial advisor to see what would be the best way to characterize it. There may be options for you to be able to deduct it, maybe not as a charitable contribution, but just something to kind of not automatically assume it's going to be charitably deducted. But there may be other ways of going about it. That's just something you need to talk to your financial advisor about. Okay. Can I ask one more question about 501c3s? Absolutely. With the popularity of sites like GoFundMe mm-hmm. and like the mm-hmm. way where you can contribute to help people, mm-hmm. are those are you able to write off those donations or is GoFundMe not registered as that? Excellent question. So GoFundMe is what you would call like a third party vehicle. So GoFundMe is more like I guess you could say like Amazon, right? They don't right. really own all the products and the companies that are selling them. They're just helping with the process of the sale. So GoFundMe is helping all these people that are asking for money, and they're helping raise those funds for those causes. Now, you did bring up an interesting point because earlier when they first started, I can't remember which year, it's been a few years now, uh, pretty much all the causes that they tried to raise money for were not 501c3, meaning any money given to GoFundMe or through GoFundMe was non-deductible. However, in recent years, I have seen GoFundMe work with 501c3 companies or institutions. So if, let's say, you're using GoFundMe to, I don't know, donate to Red Cross or any of those other charitable organizations, then it is still deductible. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. So we up until now, we were talking about cash donations, but what about non-cash donations? donations, right? Uh, Again, time of that year when we're like, oh, I need a new piece of furniture or I need new clothes, but my closet's full. Maybe I need to donate some of what what I have. There's a lot of stuff that I've never worn before. So when you pull it out and you donate it, that's good. 
but just make sure that when you're going to these places, let's say like Salvation Army or Goodwill, typically they'll give you like a small card, which we call a receipt. Make sure that they have listed down what was donated. It's important that you get like an itemized list of what was donated. Now, if you have like two, three bags full of just random stuff, you know, it's going to be very hard for them to itemize everything. But as long as they can put something there, like a bag full of clothes, a bag full of toys, a bag full of, I don't know, um, silverware or what have you, that's still good enough. Just make sure you don't bring a blank card because I've had that happen before where they're like, oh, I donated stuff to Goodwill. Here's the receipt. And I'm like, it's blank. <laughs> it doesn't say anything. And again, I'm talking about goods that are probably not of material value. But let's say you have some goods to donate of material value. Let's say a car or a piano or some expensive furniture. At that point, what I would recommend is for you to either independently hire an appraiser, appraise what you're about to donate, or to go through a charitable organization that may have an appraiser on the payroll. You need a letter of appraisal that will say what it's worth. And then that's what you need okay. to provide to your CPA or your accountant to apply. Now, that's now I should also mention this is assuming that all you guys out there that are listening intently to this are eligible for itemized deductions. Because if you fall under standardized deduction, then you know, all of this, what I'm telling you right now regarding donations won't matter. But if you itemize your deductions, please make sure to get those support. Very important. The other reason why I'm also going to mention it's probably more important now to have all your support than ever before is because IRS has actually started using, wait for it, AI technology. So just like how other businesses have already started using AI, you know, to improve their efficiency or uh, to be able to offer more services, Iris is doing the same thing. So they're going, they're currently using artificial intelligence to be able to uh, filter out more uh, people to audit. And you just want to make sure that if you ever do get audited, you have all the correct support. So you can continue to keep those deductions because if for whatever support you can't provide, guess what's going to happen? They're going to take away those deductions and you're going to owe taxes on it. Now, yeah. speaking of audits and deductions, I feel like I need to also mention the two categories that I feel like gets abused more than any other category, which would be meals and travel. So meals, right. I should also mention during COVID times, there was a special rule out there, you know, just to help out the hospitality industry to allow 100% deduction on all your meal expense business meal expense. But in 2023 and going forward, it has gone back to 50% deductible. So that's one thing you need to be aware of. That's no longer 100% deductible. The other thing you have to be aware of is it needs to follow the principle of ordinary and necessary. Now, let me talk about it without going into too much detail. So your business meal must have a reason, a business reason. And the other thing to pay attention to here is necessary. You have to make sure that you, if there's an audit, you can prove to them that it was necessary for you to have that business meal and it's something you do. So if it's, let's say you take a lunch time out of your work 
every day and every day you meet someone, right? A vendor or someone within your profession or maybe your manager. Or you, that Then it becomes ordinary because that's just how you do business, right? But if you have like just random expenses every now and then, and then when when the time comes, you say, oh, um, yeah, I, I went there with my wife and kids because we were talking business. That's not going to fly. So just just be careful of that. And the other thing I'm going to say is I know that us, we have a habit of saying maintain a log, maintain a log. And it can get difficult, especially with the meals. What I would want you to do is at least, at the very least, on the receipt that you get, on the back of it, just write down the name of the person you were having lunch with and what you talked about. Just a couple of bullet points. And then store it in a shoebox or somewhere, right? Maintain those invoices, those receipts. And that's good enough for meals. The second one that I mentioned uh, that I feel like also gets abused, the travel one, um, also has to meet the ordinary and necessary requirement, right? For it to be a valid business deduction. So again, going on a trip with your wife and kids because you had CE there doesn't mean you're going to get full deduction. Your portion, because you did attend the CE, will be deductible, but your wife's and kids is not going to be deductible. Now, there is a loop here. Uh, It's not all bad. So let's say if you go down to Florida for a CE class, you would have to get a hotel, right? Now, if you still maintain one hotel to house your wife and your kids and the cost hasn't shifted, then that's fine. But if, let's say, you get a second room for them, that's an additional cost that wouldn't have been there if it was just you, then that portion is not going to be deductible. So make sure that whenever you're trying to deduct your travel expense, you can validly show that it was ordinary and necessary for your business purpose. The other thing I just remembered, so, and I feel like maybe uh, a lot of our clients within our industry, they tend to do this. Uh, What they'll do is they'll look at their numbers and they're like, oh gosh, you know, we actually made more than what we projected. So I know we're going to incur more taxes. So to mitigate some of that tax, maybe we should buy a giant equipment right? The depreciation from that equipment is going to help right right off uh, the taxes. So at that point, what I would recommend is this. First of all, figure out if you actually need that equipment, right? Don't just buy it for tax purposes because you're not getting a dollar for dollar benefit, right? If you buy $100,000 equipment and if you're in the 37% tax bracket, the benefit would be $37,000, not $100,000. So you're out of your pocket of that $63,000 and we don't want that. So only buy it if you need it. The other thing I'm going to mention is that the way we can actually depreciate it in the current year is after it's been placed in service, meaning you can't just pay for the equipment and expect it to be depreciated. It actually has to arrive, like be shipped and arrive to your location and you need to plug it in. It needs to be placed in service for you to be able to deduct it. So that's important to know. And then once you decide, let's say you're in that area, you're like, you know what, I'll figure that out. I found the right vendor. Uh, They don't have any backlogs. They can actually get me the equipment in time. I can install it before year end. All good. Once that's done, make sure you get a copy of your invoice. If you finance the equipment, make sure you get a copy of the finance agreement. 
for your CPA or your accountant because they are going to be asking for that. Okay. That's good to know about being in service. Yeah. A lot of times people miss that. They feel like, wait, as long as I paid for it, shouldn't I be able to deduct it? Yes. Yep. You can, but the timing will depend on when you place it in service. So either it'll be deducted this year or the following year. That will depend on when you put it in service. I guess I should talk about some of the income-related items. So child tax credit, I get asked about that as well. So one thing you have to realize is that if you are single and you're making more than $200,000 a year, or if you're married and you're making more than $400,000 a year, you are no longer eligible for child tax credit. So depending on what your income is, household income, that will also determine whether you qualify for that tax credit or not. Because I've had people where, you know, initially they were making less than that and they would get it continuously for years and then all of a sudden they don't get it and they feel like, oh, this tax credit was not applied, what's going on? Nothing was wrong with how the tax return was filed. It just means that you were phased out of it. Your income is now, you're a high net worth person, so you don't qualify for that tax credit. Something similar I also hear is uh, regarding student loan interest. Right, So we have a lot of dentists, medical professionals that acquire a huge student loan before they graduate, and they feel like, okay, you know what, at least the interest portion of it will be deductible. So that's fine. But the issue is with dentists or doctors, they're, they make good money, and quite often, once they reach that threshold, their student loan interest is no longer deductible. So please keep that in mind as well. So if you're single, making more than $85,000 a year, or if you're married, making more than $170,000 a year, your student loan interest portion is not deductible anymore. Let's see, income-related items. Ah, retirement, yes. And that should probably be an episode of its own, but just to you know, briefly touch upon a couple of topics or pointers regarding it. But you have the two commonly known IRAs, the Roth IRA and the traditional IRA. Well, for the Roth IRA, that also has a cap, income cap. So if you are single and making more than $153,000, or if you're married and making more than $228,000, you are not going to be able to contribute to a Roth IRA directly anymore. Now, there are ways, there's a backdoor method that you can utilize to fund a different kind of IRA. Uh, Again, talk with your CPA or your financial advisor, they'll be able to guide you through it. But keep that in mind. Now, let's say for whatever reason, you can't contribute to a Roth IRA anymore. But you've already contributed some just because the year before you were below the threshold. But this year, let's say, you know, you bought a couple of businesses, did really well, and now you're above that threshold. And you've already contributed some amount because you do do it in chunks, right, throughout the year. Consider recharacterization of those contributions maybe to a traditional IRA. So that's also something I would say to keep an eye on. So if you're above that income level and you've already funded some into your Roth IRA, consider recharacterizing it, those contributions. And I would like, like I would recommend highly to make sure you have it done. Uh, if not before year end, absolutely before 415 of 2024. Speaking of Roth. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say that is like, you can, I just learned this last year about the donate or put putting money in your Roth IRA, just because you don't get it, bef- not get it in before December 31st, you can continue up until a certain point in the next year right. for the year prior. Right, right. And it's interesting because for most 
tax rules. They say you have to make sure it has to be paid before year end. But for retirement vehicles like Roth, traditional SEP, 401k, you actually have more time into the following year to fund it. So that's also something they yeah. want to talk to your CP about because I'm not really sure what kind of IRAs you guys contribute to. Uh, but for a Roth and traditional, it's typically 415. But for some of the other ones, you actually have time till uh, your extended deadline. So if you extend your yeah. deadline, you have time till then to fund it. Now, speaking of Roth, if now a lot of you folks sometimes ask me, you know, I'm considering a Roth conversion. If you are, one thing that I would recommend, and it's also because you have to be aware that when you do a Roth conversion, you actually incur taxes. So it's a taxable event when you fund a Roth. So the timing of it, of when to do it, would be when you're still in the lower tax bracket. So if you're actually considering, you're like a planner like me, you're like, you know, the next 10 years, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. If, if Roth conversion is something you're considering, make sure to do it earlier than later, just because you can save uh, some taxes because you're in the lower tax bracket. And even if it's going to cost you some money, assuming you're still young, you know, because you're doing it early, you will have time on your side, meaning you will have the power of compounding, right? It will go grow exponentially because you've done it earlier than later. And that will actually mitigate some of that cost that you have to incur in taxes for the conversion. And speaking of income, the other item I should also mention is that let's say if you're already doing some kind of a business, right? You're a dentist, so most of your income are patient fees. If for whatever reason you start collecting income from a different source, right? Let's say you're speaking at seminars now and you're getting paid for it or, you know, you're teaching, taking courses for dental assistance, any kind of out of the ordinary type income items, just make sure you let your CPA or your accountant know that, hey, from this year on, I've actually started doing this. I have a different kind of source because it may be something that you can still continue to take in from your existing LLC, but if it's completely out of the ordinary, you may need to set up a separate LLC. And again, that's something that needs to be speculated by your CPA and needs to be recommended. Hey, you know, you, you really should be picking that income up separately. Oh, that's interesting. So you can't just feed income in various areas into one LLC. It, it needs to be related because then the whole ordinary necessary it. rule, it gets very tricky. Got it. Right. And, and specifically if it's real estate related, I would say. Now, sometimes it could still be ordinary if it's a building or a space being rented out to a dentist. But if it's being used for something else, then it becomes passive income and it needs to be reported separately. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot to consider in just a few short weeks, but good information to know. Thank you. And set yourself up for next year too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because some of these things, they'll roll into next year as well. So that's good. So anyways, well, again, it is the end of the year. I wish everyone happy holidays. It was a pleasure. And thank you all for letting me be the host of this show for Wow, more than three years now, and I hope to be here and do this a lot longer. And I'm also appreciative and glad to have Aaron on our team. And I really hope we can continue to do this. And then maybe one day, I don't know, 
go really big with it. <laughs> It'll be the dental podcast. Right. Dental practice podcast. Yes. There you go. That's the goal. Well, thank you all and happy new year. I wish everyone the best. And thank you, Aaron, for being on the show. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond by Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.